Take your Bibles, if you will, to the book of John, John chapter number five this morning. The book of John chapter number five. Thank you so much for being here today. Today we are continuing our series of messages entitled Humility and uh, Gratitude. Today I want to speak to you on the subject of considering Jesus. Considering Jesus. We have uh, traveled through this uh, uh, thought process now for the last two weeks, this being the third week. And today I I want us to uh, look in John chapter number 5. This is one of my favorite accounts in all of the Word of God. As we find the man who, uh, who had an infirmity... Uh, sitting by the pool of Bethesda, uh, the pool, uh, pool of mercy, as the Bible refers to it as, uh, who's had an infirmity now 38 years. And uh, God, it, it, Jesus Christ, came along and uh, healed this man of his infirmity, as we'll see this morning. But it's a wonderful account as a Christian and also as a person that is seeking Christ. You see, as someone that's seeking Christ, this is just a a wonderful description and a wonderful uh, uh, account of of, of salvation and how that we can come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. As a Christian, it gives us twofold hope, or twofold uh, uh, encouragement. It gives us hope in Jesus. And secondly of all, it gives us hope in our infirmities. Many of you uh, have been facing uh, different situations within your own lives or your own family life uh, when it comes to sickness and infirmities, and, and you've shared those things with me. Well, today, I want to encourage you, as well as those that are sitting under my voice, maybe for the very first time, hearing the Word of God, that Jesus Christ is still alive and He's still living today and He's still working in people's lives. Uh, I want you to know I didn't get an invitation to His funeral, nor did, uh, uh, nor did, did He come back because I'm still here, so I know He's still alive and He's still working. And what we need to do as Christians is we need to realize the hope that we have and not only realize the hope that we have, but live a life that is within that hope. Live a life of worship. The book of John paints a beautiful picture of the love of Jesus for this lost and dying world. The whole book shows the Lord forgiving sins and giving eternal life to all who believe on His name. And by the way, that has not changed. It has not changed. Jesus Christ is still in the saving business. You see, Jesus Christ is still working in people's lives. And and, and unlike maybe some 10, 20, 30 years ago where people are rushing to the altars and, and and, and they're giving their lives to Christ in revival and tent meetings, I believe that Jesus Christ is still working in people's lives. It has just become a little bit more private, uh, a little bit more uh, in detail in their own lives. But you know what the matter, the truth of the matter is? It just doesn't matter how it happens as long as we realize who Jesus is and, and, and we invite him to come into our lives and we change for eternity. Because I'm going to tell you uh, the honest truth is I would rather something radically happen inside of you than something radically happen to you just at the altar. Are you with me? You see, the Lord is still in the forgiving of sins business and He's still in the giving of eternal life. And people just need to realize who Jesus is and give their lives over to Him. Our passage this morning 
takes place in the city of Jerusalem. Jesus had come into the city and was at the pool, uh, a place called the Pool of Bethesda. Uh, This is uh, not only one of my favorite accounts in all the Word of God, this also can be a very controversial passage of Scripture. But I want you to know that whenever I read the Bible, I don't read into the Bible. I take the Bible for what it says. Are you with me? So when you look at this account, don't get caught up in, in the angelic presence and, and the moving of the waters. What I want you to get caught up in is in the fact that Jesus was working in people's lives. And Jesus was making a move. Jesus was going to show this man who had, been in, had an infirmity for some 38 years that God is still in the healing business. But more importantly, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to find out that God's not only in the physical healing business, but more than that for this man that suffered for 38 years, God is into the healing of spiritual lives. He saved this man. And so it's a twofold account. Bethesda means house of mercy. This pool was the place of God's mercy. It was by the sheep gate in the city of Jerusalem, reminding us of the ministry of Jesus as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God came to this place of mercy. He met a man that had been crippled for some 38 years. This man was in a helpless condition, unable to do anything to save himself. The same condition that we found ourselves in if we've never accepted Christ as our personal Savior or the same condition that we found ourselves in when we came to the understanding of who Jesus is. There is nothing that I can do to save myself. You've probably been taught or heard maybe in some time in your life that your good works or the things that you do will secure you a place in heaven. I'm telling you this morning, there is only one thing that will secure your place in heaven, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. It is not by anything that I can do. It's only by His power. The man in the picture, this man is a picture of all men. From his life, we learn that God loves all men and desires to make all men whole. He is the mighty God, and he has the power to save all of us. If you have your Bibles, John chapter number 5, would you stand with me this morning? John chapter number 5. I'm not typically in the habit of reading long passages of Scripture, but this morning, for context's sake, so that we make sure we get a full context, we're going to read the first 14 verses of John chapter number 5. Starting in verse number 1, the Bible says... And there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water... Uh, uh, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. So, just to summarize for you, an angel would come, he would stir the pool of Bethesda, and whoever put their foot in or touched the water first was cured of their disease. Verse number 5. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. I want you to think about this for a moment. The Bible doesn't tell us how long he had been sitting by the pool. But he does tell us that he had an infirmity of 38 years. Now I want you to notice something. The man had the infirmity, but he still had faith. 
Are you with me? So many people that get infirmities in their life, they give up on faith. This man still had the faith. He thought that somehow, some way, he could touch the water. When Jesus saw him lie, look what it says, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case. Let me remind you of something. Jesus knows about your infirmities. You see it? He, he had been now long in that case. He saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and what's the next word? And walk. Now, if that would have been you or me, we'd have probably asked a few questions. What do you mean, get up and walk? I don't even know that the man has ever walked before in his life. What do you mean? Rise. Take up my bed. Not only do you want me to get up, but you want me to pick my bed up. And then you want me to walk. No, he didn't ask any questions. The Bible says, and after a few minutes. What does your Bible say? Immediately, the man was made whole. He took up his bed and he walked. Uh-oh. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. I'd have done the same thing. I'd have been laughing too, but you don't understand. <laughs> this man just told me to pick up my bed and walk, and I'm walking. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? What I love about this. Are you ready? This man had never encountered Jesus before. Jesus tells him a simple command. Take up thy bed and walk. And now, Jesus has said it. The impotent man has said it, and now the Jews have said it. They all understand the words of Jesus. Take up thy bed and walk. Verse 13. And he that was healed, uh, healed, uh, wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, and multitude, uh, excuse me, a multitude being in that place. Verse 14. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and saith unto him, Behold, thou art made, what's the next word? Whole. Jesus went from the physical to the spiritual. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Let us pray. Father, we love you. Lord, I pray that you'll bless the reading of your word. Lord, I pray today in the few moments that we have together that we'll be encouraged by these words. And Lord, I pray most of all, if there's one here today that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, that today they'll see their need for salvation. If there's one here today that's discouraged because of the things that are going on in their lives, may they be encouraged 
Lord, most of all, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God will work in and through us, starting right here in this pulpit all the way through each chair in this room. Lord, we love you, but most of all, we thank you for loving us. Person, in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Today, for just a few moments, I want you to consider Jesus. If you're in the habit of taking notes on the back of your bulletin, there's an outline if you would like to take those notes down. Number one, the predicament of the man. The predicament of the man. We know, based upon what we've just read, that this man, this impotent man, had a great predicament in his life. He had an infirmity some 38 years, and there was no way that he could get into this pool because he had no man. When Jesus saw the man lying there, he had already had that condition for 38 years. He probably assumed he would always be that way and that nobody cared for him. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that I'm just, it's just the way it is and nobody cares about me? Nobody cares about my condition. Nobody cares about what I'm going through. You see, this man was having probably that same moment in his life. Every time those waters would stir and he would watch somebody go in that had an infirmity and come out without an infirmity, he probably thought to himself, there goes another chance. I'll never get out of this condition. You know, many of us sit and watch as other people around us are cured from things that are in our lives. We watch other people around us that have family problems and issues and we watch them get resolved and we think to ourselves no one cares about me why doesn't God love me why isn't God ridding this situation from me listen I believe with all my heart that sometimes sometimes God is just trying to figure out how big our faith really is how much faith do we really have God is trying to figure out how much do you really love him Can I tell you that he may never take the storm away, but I promise you he will always walk through it with you. This man had an infirmity some 38 years. Letter A, he was powerless. He was powerless, powerless to help. There was nothing that he could do, and there was no one there to help him. This man was so weak that he had no power to help himself. His condition was real. And for 38 years, he'd been laying at the side of the pool, hoping to get into the water so that he might have healing. Yet, he was never able to get into the water because he had no power to do it. This man is a perfect picture of a sinner without Christ. In our sins, there is no way that we can cleanse ourselves. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there is no other way to obtain salvation other than Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus Christ is the only way. And you know what? There's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves. Men have been trying to do that for ages. They've been trying to find other ways to God. They've been trying to, 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 to conjure up different thoughts and different religions and different ways to obtain salvation and to obtain eternity. And I wish with all my heart that people would just understand that there is only one way. And by the way, it's a free way. It is a gift that was given to all of us. All we have to do is accept it and take it and then share it. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse number 6. But we are all as as an unclean thing. And all of our righteousness as filthy what? Rags. 
And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. We are all born sinners. The entire human race is unable to solve the problem of sin. We are without strength and we are without help, unable to find forgiveness apart from Jesus Christ. Now, I really want you to get this because we, we've dealt with the idea that we cannot get to, get to heaven any other way other than Jesus Christ. But I want you to see this. The tragedy of this situation was this man was not getting help from anyone else. When this man explained his predicament to Jesus, explaining his helpless condition, he stated, Sir, I have no man. I don't know about you, but boy, this hits home. I just wonder how many people in Carrollton say, I have no man. No one's ever come. No one's ever cared enough. No one's ever told me that Jesus Christ loves me. Sir, I have no man. I wonder, I just wonder, as we stand at the great white throne judgment of Jesus Christ, and we watch as people walk up, and Jesus says, is your name found written in the book of life? And it is not. And they turn to Jesus and they say, Jesus, sir, but I had no man. Jesus says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. But sir, I had no man. Jesus reminds us that it's our job to be the man or the woman to tell people about Jesus Christ. 38 years, no man cared enough for this man to help him into the water. Other people healed their loved ones into the water, but no man cared for this man's soul. Can you imagine? As this man sat around this pool and watched, as maybe moms and dads, or maybe husbands and wives, or maybe other people, friends, helped their, other, their, their, their person that they loved with the infirmity, and maybe he said, would you come back and just help me? And they ignored him. Because of the privilege I have to be a pastor, I go into situations all the time, into hospitals and nursing homes and rehabilitation places. Others of you in our congregation go into prisons. And as you go in, you realize something. There are very few people that care. Let me ask you a question. Would you be someone that would care for the man who's crying out in his infirmity and in his iniquity needing Jesus? There are many people in our world today who are neglected, needed the gospel. They've tried various programs. They've tried counseling. They've tried different religions. And they still struggle because they do not have Jesus. They need someone 
to help them. We all work around people like that all in our, in, our, in our lives. People that we know need Jesus. Can I ask you this question? Do they have a man? Do they have someone that's telling them who Jesus is and that he cares for their soul? Let her be. He was punished for sin. He was punished for sin. In this particular case, it appears that the physical suffering of this man was brought on by sin. It's important to recognize, however, that not all sickness is a punishment. And we've talked about that before. But in our case here of this man that has an infirmity, uh, it seems to me that the reason that this man had the infirmity because he was sick, because in verse number, because he sinned, because in verse 14, Jesus said, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin what? No more. Lest the worst thing come unto thee. When we will, willfully choose to live in sin, we invite the wrath of God into our lives. It is critical in the life of the Christian that we live lives that are within the context of Scripture. Lining ourselves up with the Word of God. And doing what He's asked us to do. Number two, the power of Christ. The power of Christ. I'm going to be quick, but I really want you to see this. As we look at this, this account and see what Jesus really did. This wonderful account shows us Jesus Christ's power to come into our lives and radically change us for eternity. Jesus has power over everything. And in this instant, he showed his power to heal. I want you to listen to me, church, this morning. Jesus still has power to heal. Jesus still has power to heal. Jesus still has power to save. Jesus still has all power. He is still omnipotent. He's all powerful. Letter A, the healing power. Look at verses number 8 and 9 with me this morning. In John chapter number 5. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Now... I have, you, there are certain things that you've figured out about me over the past two years. And one of those is that I have a very vivid imagination. And so I think about this story for a moment. And I want you to kind of go with me uh, and, and think about what's happening. Here's the man. He's laying, the Bible says, by the pool. And here comes Jesus. I understand wherever Jesus went, there were probably followers. And Jesus shows up, and you understand that all around this pool are people filled with infirmities. And the Bible says that Jesus didn't stop by anybody else. Jesus went right to that man. What did Jesus know about him? He knew he had the infirmity of 38 years. Jesus walked up to this man, and he said, Sir, wilt thou be made whole? In other words, Jesus said to him, Hey, do you want to be all better? Man looked to Jesus and said, certainly I do, but I have no one to help me and I can't do it on my own. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. I want you to think that there's probably another man with an infirmity right over here. There's probably a lady with an infirmity right over here. There might be a child right over here. There might be someone with their loved one over here. And things are beginning to cause a stir over here. So everybody's looking. Can I tell you something else? Everyone around this man knew the man. He wasn't a stranger. He had been there a long time. 
And then Jesus says to the man, rise, take up your bed and walk. I can imagine everyone's response around him. Sir, do you not know who this man is? What is going on around here? The Bible does not tell us his name, but the Bible does tell us this. Immediately, Jesus is looking at him. Immediately, the Bible says, the man with the infirmity rose up. He took up his bed. Can you imagine the people around him? What's going on? What is he doing? He's standing. Did somebody, did the water stir stir and nobody see it? What just happened? And the Bible says that he rose, he took up his bed, and the Bible says, and he started walking. Now, it's very interesting. The Bible says Jesus disappeared from the crowd. What does that tell me? There were a lot of people that flocked to this man. Not only were there a lot of people that flocked to this man, but this man is walking around with his bed in his hand. And now the religious leaders, I like to call them the bucket committee. They love to pour cold water on things that God does in people's lives to calm them down. Because I can imagine this man with his bed is going, somebody, somebody just healed me. Look, I'm walking around. Look at me. I don't even know what to say. Excuse me, sir. It is the Sabbath. It is unlawful for you to be carrying your bed. I'm going to tell you what I'd have said. I've been laying in this bed too long not to be carrying it. Because there was a man that told me to rise and take up my bed and walk. And I think I'd have turned to him and said, you didn't have the power to tell me that. Can I tell you something this morning? That when Jesus does a miracle in our lives, don't allow anybody to, to take away the joy and the power that God has provided in your life. Starting with salvation. Jesus took this crippled man and he used his spoken words to heal the man. The power to heal and perform miracles is, is not in the mere words of man. It's solely in the power and the words of God. First, Jesus told him to rise. Christ wanted this man to rise without anyone helping him. This man had to act in faith and believe in Jesus' words. And he acted in faith and the Lord gave him the power to rise up. You see, Jesus didn't walk over and grab a hold of him and help him up. He didn't tell the man, if you try to get up, then everything will be all right. He said, listen, you have got to take the initiative. You have to rise up and you'll be healed. 
This is a perfect picture of salvation. We must receive Christ by faith. And then Jesus regenerates us. He gives us a spiritual birth. Jesus Christ is not going to pour salvation in anybody's life. They have to be willing to accept it by faith. Second, he told the man to take up his bed. Christ wanted to show the unbelieving Jews that his power was real. Christ had given the crippled man the strength to carry his bed. Finally, Christ told him to walk. Christ had this man walking and living in newness of life. This is what God can do with someone's life. He picks us up from the side of the pool, gives us the strength, and helps us to walk on for him. Listen to me, church. We don't know anything about this man. We don't know his name. We don't know anything about his history. We don't know about his family. What we do know is that for 38 years he sat by a pool trying his best to get in to be healed. And then Jesus came by. And Jesus said, rise and take up your bed and walk. And you know what he did? He obeyed. Listen to me, church. I want you to really get this. Twofold. One, if Jesus is beckoning you to salvation, he will never force himself upon you. You have to take the initiative and accept him. And secondly of all, if you never obey, you'll never be able to carry your bed. If you never obey, you'll never be able to carry it. Now, I find it very interesting, and I really want you to get this. I told you this is one of my favorite accounts in all the Bible. Because to me, it just speaks volumes. Watch. (laughs) And this is something that I struggled with for a long time in my life. But I want you to see it, because I think it will help you. Jesus told the man to rise... The second thing he told him was to take up his bed. Could the man have left his bed there? You know what Jesus wanted? Jesus wanted to give him a reminder of where he came from. (laughs) Jesus wanted to remind him, listen, you were once laying in that bed. Do not ever forget where God brought you from to where you are today. Can you, just, I, I don't know if you're very imaginative like I am, but I, I can just see this guy. As he's walking with his bed in his hand. And, and I don't know what he's saying, but he's testifying. And the only thing else that we know about this man is that a little while later in a temple, there Jesus was. And he said, go and sin no more. But I can only imagine that this man kept his bed as a reminder of what God had done in his life. So many times problems and circumstances and situations come in our lives. And God heals us from those situations and circumstances. But we wonder why God won't ever take the scars away. We wonder why God won't ever take the hurt away. Why doesn't God remove the emotional attachment to this? Why doesn't God remove the memory from my life? 
Why doesn't he? Because God wants to remind us where we were to where we are today. Don't ever, don't ever, ever forsake the memory of your past. Because when you forsake the memory of your past, you forget how good God is in your life in the present. 38 years. Can you imagine now that maybe some 18, 20 years later, here's this man, 58 years old. He's been walking around the earth for 20 years. Everything has been great. No more infirmities. No more problems. And he can begin to take for granted that now he can walk. But every time he goes home, there's his bed. And it reminds him, I was once laying by the pool of Bethesda with no hope in my life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Jesus has all the power. He has all the power. He has everything that we need in our lives. This is the heart of the matter. Christ is God in the flesh, possessing all the attributes of deity. When Jesus just demonstrated his divine power, he showed that he was equal with God. There are many people today that deny Jesus' equality with God. They say that, that they're in fact not a part of the Trinity, that Jesus was just a good man, that Jesus was separate from who God is. I want you to know, if we continue on in our passage today, for context's sake, it shows us three particular areas uh, of equality between God the Father and Jesus Christ. And, and this will just help you in your own Christian life. First of all, look at verse 21 with me. For as the Father raiseth up the dead, I'm in in John chapter number 5, verse 21. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. Equality. They are equal in works. God the Father, God the Son, equal in their works. Not only that, they're equal in judgment. Look at verse 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the what? The Son. To the Son. Equality. Verse 3, they're equal in honor. Look at verse 23. That all men should what? Honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honors not the Son, honors not the Father, which hath sent him. There's equality between God the Father and God the Son. Jesus Christ is equal with God the Father. And we owe Jesus the same praise that we would give God the Father. Jesus is the Lord God Almighty. And he had the power to come to this man who was able to, unable to walk for 38 years and change him. Jesus did so much more for this man than just heal him physically. Jesus healed him spiritually. Although it was a miracle that this man could now walk, the greater miracle was that his sins were forgiven. He now had the promise of eternity. Number three, the promise of eternity. And I promise I'll be quick. The promise of eternity. I want you to see this. This is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. This is the hope that we have that this is not the end. This is just the beginning. Jesus Christ gives the promise to, uh, uh, of eternity to all who will believe. Many oppose this position by stating it is impossible to know that we can have eternal life for sure. But according to the word of God, we can know. What an amazing comfort. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful to know that I cannot lose my salvation. I'm going to try that one more time. I am so grateful and comforted by the fact that I cannot lose my salvation. I can't. Once I'm saved, I'm always saved. 
There's nothing that I can do to become unsaved. Jesus Christ saved me. He sealed me. And now I have a hope of eternity. 1 John chapter 5, verse number 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may, what's the next word? Know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Letter A, the reception of eternal life. The reception of eternal life. Look at me in verse number 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in his self, so hath he given to the Son, have, or excuse me, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Anyone can have eternal life. We must hear his word on the matter and believe on him. It's a wonderful thing to have assurance of the promise of eternity. If you've trusted in Christ for salvation, we can have confidence that God will fulfill his promise to allow us to spend eternity with him in heaven. First John chapter 5. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true. Even his Son, Jesus Christ, that is the true God and eternal life. Let her be, and I'm done. The resurrection unto eternal life. If you haven't listened to anything I've said all these last 30 minutes, can you get this for me for just a moment? Look at verse 28. Marvel not at all this, for the hour is coming in which all they that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. I can of my own self do nothing as I hear I judge and my judgment is just. You ready? Here it comes. Because I seek not my own will but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Why doesn't Jesus just save everyone? Why doesn't God just give eternal life to everyone? Look at verse 30. I can of my own self do nothing. You say, Pastor, the Bible says with, all, uh, with, with uh, God all things is possible. It's not possible and the reason is, is because my judgment is just. Jesus Christ cannot force salvation on anyone. It is our own decision. And there's going to come a day when there will be a resurrection unto eternal life. And whether you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior or not, that resurrection unto eternal life is coming. God forgives our sins and He will resurrect us to where He is. This passage speaks of all future resurrections. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. I have a couple passages of Scripture and we'll be done. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the Bible says, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, as Paul mentioned, which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. If you're here today and you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, whether by death or by life, 
there's coming a day when Jesus Christ is going to rapture his church out and we are going to be with the Lord forever. Wherefore, the Bible says, comfort one another with these words. This is not, as, this is the, as a Christian, this world is as worse as it's going to get because heaven's on the other side of this. Jesus not only promises to forgive our sins at the pool of mercy, he also promises to take us someday to be with him in heaven for all of eternity. May I tell you, this is also a resurrection for unbelievers. Those who have rejected Christ will be resurrected to a time of judgment. Revelation chapter number 20. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There is a heaven to gain for those that have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. But there's also a hell. There's a lake of fire for those who have rejected Him. We all have a choice to make in our lives. What choice are you making today? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?